0: We are so thankful that you are here with us uh, today. Again, if you are a first-time visitor or guest, we'd love for you to take a moment and fill out that little blue Connect card in the seat back in front of you. And I'd love to meet you personally just after the conclusion of our service. Just out this door to the left, we've got a little welcome area, and we've even got T-shirts. Man, we're giving away free T-shirts. Who don't want a free T-shirt? So you can come and and uh, hang out there, and as always, if you need prayer, uh, we'd love to, to connect with you. But this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joel, chapter 2. And as you make your way in your Bibles, a couple things just to announce. Uh, first off, is hey, praise the Lord! In the last several weeks, we have seen several people make professions of faith in Christ. So first off, can we praise the Lord for that together? We've seen uh, people. Come on, y'all can do better than that, man. We're talking about people getting saved now. That's what I'm saying now, listen, hey, we ain't gonna act that way now, uh, hey. When we see people come to faith in Christ, we are so thankful for that. And the first thing uh, that God has called us to, once we've given our life to Christ, is to follow through in baptism. And so over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be doing that. And so if you would like to follow through in baptism, again, you can take that Connect card and you can mark on there, there's a little place where you can say, I'd like to be baptized, and you can put that in one of our Connect boxes as we're dismissed today. And that's for you or maybe for one of your children who needs to pray through that. And so uh, we'd love to talk to you, love to connect with you about that. Remember, baptism... Baptism is your way of saying, I belong to Jesus, and it's your first step of obedience. But with that being said, again, as you've seen in your uh, bulletins today, we will be beginning tomorrow 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so I encourage you, you again, go and look at um, that pamphlet that's in your booklet, uh, in your bulletin t- today, uh, to kind of help explain what biblical fasting is by Dr. Bill Eliff. And then tomorrow we will begin that. And the purpose of our time in prayer and fasting is we're asking that God does basically three different things. That God brings spiritual renewal in the hearts and lives of us personally, also in the lives of each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and then also in the lives of those in our community who do not know Christ. So in us personally, in our church, and then also in the community. And another term for the uh, word spiritual renewal is revival. Revival. Richard Owen Roberts, a great revivalist, once said that he could describe revival in one word. You hear this? Describe revival in one word. And he said, It's God. God. It is the manifestation of Himself. God revealed and responded to in His rightful place and in the hearts of His people. Church family, this is a good question for us to ask. Are we living this way? Are we living in a state where God is present and regularly at work among us? This is what we're asking God to do in our church and over the next three weeks. We're we're praying and fasting and we're asking God for one thing and one major thing alone. We're asking for nothing more in 2022 than God himself. And again, we're giving you several different ways to, to help in that. We're giving you those prayer guides, seven things that we're praying for this year that all come together, all seem to play a part in revival in, in the in the past. Those little door hangers, again, put those up somewhere, pray for that. Also, we'll be sending out video prompts with a prayer point every day during the next 21 days. We'll see that all over our social media, and that'll also be, if you want to register for that email, I encourage you to do that. And then finally... Because fasting is always supposed to be combined with praying in the pursuit of God. I just want to remind everybody that we have a 24-hour open prayer room. The code to get into that prayer room is in your worship guide uh, today. And I know what it's like with family, and especially with little kids at home. Finding time for a quiet place can be an effort in and of itself. So if you need a place to come during this 21 days of prayer and fasting, early in the morning, middle of the day, late in the afternoon, come and join us. You can come to this prayer room. You can have some time alone with God yourself. We're actually installing security cameras in that this week so that you can feel safe during your time uh, there if you want to come late in the evening or so. So again, that is available. But the whole process of this is for us to get along with God. Now with that being said, today I want to ask us to look at Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is one of, our, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's not minor in his message, it's just minor in his length. During this time, we see that the people of God are enduring the discipline of God because they were living in rebellion and sin against God. Now, scholars disagree as to what time this book was actually written, if it was pre-the exile or post-the exile. But regardless of when it took place, the, the message of the book is clear. And that is, without faithfulness and pursuit of God in the lives of His people, they always end up enduring two things. They always endure the consequences of their own sin. When we get away from God, we endure the consequences of sin on ourselves. And then secondly, we will endure the discipline of God. Which is God's means of drawing us back to Him. And this is not just an Old Testament principle, this is a New Testament principle. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. So, this book of Joel is God pouring out discipline on His people in order to draw them back to Him. However, if you look at Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, you see that God gives a moment of His grace and His mercy as He calls the people to Himself. So look with me, Joel 2, beginning in verse 12, it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, and with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. For who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. That's important. Let the priests, let the ministers, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? So he's calling them to repentance. But then look at verse 18. Then you see God's promise of deliverance and revival. He says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. And will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people. Behold I am going to send you grain and new wine and oil. And you'll be satisfied and full with them. And will never again make you a reproach among the nations. And then if you continue in this chapter here. Verses 20 through 26 is full of all these promises. That God gives to those people who repent and return to him. But the greatest promise in my opinion comes in verse 27. This is what he says. Thus you will know. That I am in the midst of Israel. Thus you will know that I am in your midst. This is revival, church. God in the middle of his people. And this is what we're praying for in 2022. Can I say something to you here today? That's what God wants for each and every one of you in this room. He wants 2022 to be a year where God is in your midst. And so the title of our message today is God's Recipe for Revival. Your know, recipe is something that invo- involves instructions, and you follow those instructions normally towards getting something good. It's like if you have a recipe for some incredible uh, um, uh, dessert or something. My wife makes an incredible homemade apple pie, and she always goes to her recipe. And I promise, by the way, I will not use food illustrations over the next three weeks as we get into this fast. This is your last day, by the way. If you need to go to Jack's, go hit it up, okay? Or maybe it's something that you're following instructions like putting together a child's toy or something like that. But instructions matter. They lead us to the greatest desired end. But if we don't follow them well, then often we miss out on what is best. When Kimberly and I first got married... I remember uh, it was the first time for one of us to really get pretty bad sick is uh, she got the flu. And I wanted to be the hero husband, man. I wanted to be the husband that jumps in and cares for and does well. And she's naturally a go-getter. So trying to get her to lay down and just be sick is near impossible just to rest. And so she was pretty bad sick. I go to the drugstore and I'm asking, you know, what can I get? And they recommend uh, NyQuil cold and flu. And so I come home, I'm like, hey, babe, listen, you need to rest. The doctor, everybody said you need to rest. So I've got this covered, I got everything covered. You lay down, and I come in, I give her two tablespoons, you know, and I give it to her, and, and she's good, and she goes to sleep. Sleeps like a rock that night. And the next day. And the next night. <laughs> She's waking in like these semi-comatose states, like, what did you give me? And I'm like, hey, all is good. You know, then I start getting worried. Oh, my gosh, she ain't waking up, you know. So I go look at the instructions, and I was supposed to give her two teaspoons, not two tablespoons. So finally, when she came out of her coma, you know, she felt very well rested, and I'm thankful she's still with us today. So that being said, church family, this is the truth. I truly believe revival is what God wants to do here at Enon. And when I say revival, I'm not talking about just some term or some hokey kind of colloquial thing that we say in church. I'm talking about God showing up in the middle of His people. When you called me as your pastor, I had a few weeks in Arkansas to pray and prepare as we were preparing to move. And this passage that I'm going to preach today, the Lord laid on my heart before I ever even arrived here today. And even the Lord laid on my heart to call us to 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'd say this here today, whether you're a church member here or not, if you're a visitor or guest, again, if you, if you want to see God work in, heart, in, in your heart and life this year, then join us in this. And, but that being said, today I believe this passage gives us some instructions to follow that can help us get to that place where God is in our midst. So that being said, our first truth today is God's recipe for revival usually begins by Him getting our attention at the beginning of this passage in verse twelve, we see a transition statement. The the uh, Joel says here, "Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart." Now, obviously, the return to me passage is that calling for revival, calling, return to me. But he gives a transitional statement there that says, yet even now, declares the Lord. It's transitional and it means it calls us to say, what is going on in the situation around us? Joel is saying, I'm doing something, but I've already been doing something. I'm calling you to repentance and calling you to return in the middle of something. So it basically calls us to ask, what is the situation that is going on in the lives of his people? And what we find here in this passage is that we need to understand that when we pick up in the middle of Joel 2, we're in the midst of a great wave of God's discipline. We know from chapter 1 that God is using physical locusts to come and destroy the crops of His people. Joel chapter 1 verse 4 says, What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locusts have eaten. And what the swarming locusts have left, the creeping locusts have eaten. And what the creeping locusts have left, the stripping locusts have eaten. And then it doesn't stop there. Apparently, after this moment, then a great fire comes in, sin of God, to afflict the people. Joel chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says, To you, O Lord, I cry. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So they have this great swarm of locusts that comes in, and then a great fire and drought that comes in after it. And this is what's important to know. The people knew that this was the discipline of God. They didn't think it was some random coincidence. Look in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. They recognize, Joel says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. So the context we find our passage in Joel when he says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, we see that God had been getting the people's attention. God had sent the fire, God had sent the locust. God was shaking them out of normalcy to let them know that they needed him, that something was up. Now what does this tell us today about how God will get our attention? First thing it says is that God will go to great lengths to get the attention of his people. God is a good father and just like a good child will not ignore his children they are doing wrong, a good father steps in. And the truth is here in this text, we see that God has stepped in. And the main way God steps in is through discipline. Now, the principle that we see in Scripture is that God's discipline is His means to draw His people back. And if we study Scripture, we can see five main ways that God uses to get our attention in discipline. And I would say this here today as we read these, ask yourself the question, Is God trying to get my attention? The first way we see that God gets our attention through His discipline is through His voice. All over Scripture we see that's the first thing God does. He sends a prophet in the Old Testament. He gives us His Word. And in the New Testament we see in John chapter 16, the Bible says the Spirit has come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's a legal term. It is to bring an accusation against you. And I would say something to you here today. That's the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. It's different from a conscience. A conscience is the common grace of God, of knowledge of right and wrong that God gives to everyone created in His image. There's something that you recognize, this is right or this is wrong. But the voice of the Holy Spirit is greater than knowledge of right and wrong. It's a knowledge that you have offended God, that you're on the wrong side of God in this situation. And honestly, that's where conviction starts with all of us. We do something that God says no to and you sense the Holy Spirit of God yelling within you saying no, that's not for you. The second thing we see, the Scripture shows that God disciplines and gets the attention of His people is through withholding measures of His intimacy. Not, not that God stops loving us, but that He withholds measures of intimacy. Basically, the Scripture speaks about the Holy Spirit of God within us is a flame, is a fire within us. Essentially, sometimes God allows that fire to get cooled down a little bit or allows the Spirit of God to get dry within our hearts. The scriptures talks about quenching the Spirit of God. Probably one of the greatest examples of this is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He calls, uh, calls that the sin of drunkenness. And he says if you walk in that sin of drunkenness or any other uh, uh, self-satisfying sin is that ultimately you will be less full with the Holy Spirit. And that's that reality is that sometimes you recognize, God, I'm, I'm not walking in the fullness of you. My flame has dwindled. My dryness of my soul. I'm recognizing that I'm just going through the motions. This is God's hand letting us know sometimes, Hey, you're missing out on me. Thirdly, the scripture shows that God gets our attention, often through his discipline, by exposing our sin. Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 says this, that your sin will find you out. Again, God's a good Father and if we continue to turn away from Him, to continually turn towards sin, God has a way of bringing that sin to the surface. God will expose your sin in the eyes of the public so to let you know that you're wrong so that you can turn back to Him. We see this in Joshua chapter 7. The Bible says when Achan took the things that were under the band that God had said don't take, he hid them inside his tent and then ultimately by casting lots, God went from every tribe to every clan to every family to every home to eventually it revealed that it was Achan. Sometimes God gets our attention by letting us be caught in our sin. God loves you too much to let it just stay hidden. Fourth of the Scripture shows that God disciplines us through the removal of His blessing and even sometimes His protection. I I love how in John 21, how Peter was a fisherman before he followed Jesus. But once he followed Jesus, he left fishing to go follow Him. But he was a professional before that. That's how he made a living. But in John 21, after he has denied Jesus and he is leaving the ministry... Because he feels like Jesus has given up on him. The Bible says he goes out fishing. And what happens? He catches nothing all night. God's not going to let him succeed in doing something that's not him. Know this today, church. Sometimes God will take his bless- hand of blessing off of you to help point us in the way that we may need him. Same thing is true in God's protection. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that when the man who was caught in immoral sin... That Paul said, I have delivered this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he might be saved. Sometimes God says, you want it bad enough, big boy, you can have it. And you're going to have all that comes with it. And when you taste the consequences of that sin, then you'll come back to me. And then finally, Scripture shows that God disciplines and gets the attention of his people sometimes. Through even the addition of struggles and heartaches in our life. Sometimes God adds struggles to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warns the people who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, which is blatant, unrepentant sin, that sickness may come on them as a form of God's discipline. Sometimes God actually causes pain and heartache in the lives of His people to turn us to Him. Now let me make this clear. All sickness and struggles that you deal with in your life are not because you've sinned, okay? Or not because you're enduring the discipline of God. There's a lot of people who have a really bad theology of that. That you must be a sinner because you're doing something wrong. And because you're going through these struggles. That's a poor theology. What I will say is that God is a good father. And like any good father when he disciplines his children. He lets them know why they're being disciplined. What they've done wrong. All throughout Scripture, when God was disciplining His people, He sent prophets, He sent people to say, this is what you're doing wrong if you do not repent. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you are enduring the discipline of God through the consequences around you, removal of blessings, adding of struggles, then you're going to know that it's God. There's not going to be any question into that. Does that make sense? But here's the main thing that this passage shows us about God's getting our attention. The whole purpose... Of God here getting the attention of His people is because He wants to draw them back. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. God is saying here, yes, you're sinful. Yes, you're rightfully enduring my discipline. But not to harm you or to repay you, but to bring you back to me. God is saying, I'm getting your attention because I long for your affection. And I would say, O oh child of God, today, if you're experiencing the disciplining hand of God in your life, if He is calling to get your attention, if you're experiencing the dryness of the Lord, if you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life calling you to repent, then do not, do not overlook that. Yield to that because God is trying to draw you near. So church family, the first thing that we see in this text and God's recipe for revival is that He gets our attention In this process. The second thing we see is once God has gotten our attention, God's recipe for revival continues by him making us specifically aware of our sin. Now again, notice how in verse 12, just after he gives this transition statement, he gets their attention, he says, Yet even now, then he gives God's people through the prophet the direction of where their sin occurred. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. Here in this passage, God is making it clear to his people what their sin was. And he accuses them of having abandoned God by saying, return to me. Again, this is another picture of how God's discipline works in the lives of his people. Here in this passage, the call is to return to me. It is both an invitation and an accusation. It is an invitation by God to come afresh to a place of intimacy and obedience to God. To return to him. But it is also a specific revelation of their sin that brought them in this situation in the first place. God is saying, I am making you aware. He's saying, oh people, you have left me. Again, like we said previously, God never disciplines His children when you don't know that it's the discipline of God. He always lets you know why. And here He's saying, I'm letting you know why, because you have left me. If biblical history teaches us anything about God's people, it is that they were prone to great sin in many ways ways and can I say something to you here today early in my walk with God when I would read about the children of Israel just making terrible decisions right in the middle of God working I would say how in the world did they do that can I say the older I get the more graceful I am to the children of Israel anybody want to say amen to that anybody else want to sing that song to that old hymn prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love here's my heart Lord take and seal it seal it for thy courts above man I find myself praying that pretty regularly But often the people of God, you see that they were idolatrous. They were immoral. They were greedy. They were sensuous. They lacked compassion. They often lacked devotion. They didn't bring their tithes to God. They didn't observe the commanded practices of worship. They followed after the pattern of the world and so on. However, here in Joel, the greatest sin that he calls to their attention is not their external sin, but their internal sin. Now, no doubt, hear me, no doubt here, the children of God were doing other things that were sinful. But the main core issue that he points them to is the sin of their heart. You have left me. Return to me. He says it twice in this passage in Joel 2. Return to me. God spoke about the internal position of their hearts more than he mentioned the external problems of their hands. What they were doing wrong. And the truth is, is that not where all sin originates anyway? When my heart drifts from God is then my hands find their way to things that... God doesn't long for. Jeremiah ultimately said the same thing to God's people in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters. They've turned away from God. They've left God. Then they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water, which was ultimately idolatry. So then they turn to sin. Now for those of us in Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that reveals to us our sin. And that comes in very specific ways. God lets me know what my sin is specifically. However, the first feeling I have in conviction is not just that I've done wrong, but it is that I have grieved the heart of God. Isn't that where conviction starts with us? I have grieved the heart of God. I feel I have wandered from God and I need to repent and return to Him. We see the same thing is true in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five. The church at Ephesus, who by the way, were doing a lot of great things that were right, They were commended for a lot of great things that they were doing right. However, this is what he says in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Church, I don't know what the Spirit of God may be making you aware of today concerning your sin and need of revival. Sometimes God reveals to us our sins of commission, things that we're doing that are wrong. And sometimes it's sins of omission, things that we should be doing that we're not. But I want you to know today that if the Spirit of God is drawing these things to mind, usually you know it. You sense it. I heard a pastor say one time, for the true Christian, it is impossible to describe the joys that they experience when walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? It is impossible to describe when heaven has come down and filled your soul and the fire of the Holy Spirit is at work within you. But he didn't end there. He said, but for the genuine Christian, it is also impossible to ignore when he's not. When you have abandoned God, when you have left intimacy with God, again, you may not have been, you may still be going to church, going through the motions, but in your heart, the fire, the passion of God, the intimacy of God has left. Church family, do we need to return to God? Do we need to come back to our first love? It's a good question. Do you look backwards in your spiritual journey to places with God of great intimacy and long for those days again? Remembering the past can be a great thing for God's people, but God doesn't want His people to be spiritual archaeologists of yesterday alone, but rather He wants us to be those who walk in spiritual adventures of today also. God wants us to be a people like Paul in Philippians chapter 3 that are forgetting what lies behind but looking forward to what lies ahead. We press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want yesterday to be the only seasons of revival that you remember. God wants today and tomorrow to be full of the intimacy and presence and power of God in your life. But let me say something to you, church. You can't come back, You, you can't go forward with God until you come back to God. You can't go up until you get low. And I want you to know something today, it's never too late. And you need to hear that today. I was reminded this past week of how the devil loves to seed that lie that it's too late. I've been given the great honor, and I say pray for us on Wednesdays. I've got an opportunity on Wednesdays at Mortimer Jordan High School to walk 30 high school seniors through some material about what it means to be a man and ultimately a godly man. We started this journey last week. At the end of the first week, we introduced some of that journey. And one of the questions was, what are the lies that you believe that keep you from saying, I can be a better man, ultimately a godly man? And I looked at my little group of five. There were five guys in there. And three of the five, this was the lie that they marked, was that it's too late. 17 years old, 18 years old, I'm looking at these 17, 18 years old, and I'm saying, man, your whole life is in front of you. But it dawned on me in that moment that it's one of the devil's greatest lies, that you are defined by your present or in your recent past. That is what defines you when God says that it's never too late. And can I say something to you here today? It doesn't matter what 2021 looks like. It doesn't matter what 2020 looks like. It doesn't matter what the last decade looks like. If you're a child of God, then you've always been a child of God. And know this today, God wants to do a fresh work in you today. You say, but I've never known Him. Then 2022 can be the beginning of a journey that maybe you thought you could never take. God wants to do a revival work. God be in our midst. So again, how does this work? The First, God gets our attention Then he makes us aware and I would say to his church the greatest sin that starts is that we just abandon intimacy with God. Is he making us aware of that? Then thirdly, once God has made us aware of our sin, God's recipe for revival then comes by him calling for action. A genuine revival work in the lives of God's people doesn't just begin and end with God getting our attention and making us aware of our sin But then he expects us to respond to him through specific means to express genuine repentance and desperation from him. And he shows us too in this passage. Look at verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Now there's two major actions that are referenced here, that are right for God's people who are seeking spiritual revival. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Zach, I want a fresh work. I want God to do a fresh work in my heart. Here's two main actions you can leave here with today. The first right action for God's people who are seeking revival is brokenness. Joel calls God's people here in this text to weep and mourn. The expressions of brokenness and grief are seen as right and proper responses to God's people when they are in desperate need of revival. Same thing happens in James chapter 4 in the New Testament. Beginning of James 4, he calls them adulteresses. They're committing spiritual adultery. They've left God. But then he says to them in verses 8 through 10, he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into sorrow and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and He will lift us up. Weeping and mourning over our sin of drifting from God is right before God. Not because God desires us to be perpetually guilty. This is not true. The truth is for those of us who are followers in Jesus, we know that all of our sin has been paid by Jesus and has been crucified by Him past, present, and future. So my weeping and my mourning is not to come afresh into a relationship with God for His people or to make Him love us again. But however, weeping and mourning is right before God because I love God so much and He loves me so much that my abandoning of Him, my lack of intimacy of Him grieves me because any time that I hurt somebody who loves me, I'm grieved. Church family, when was the last time your soul was cleansed by hot tears of confession? Think about that. You ever had those moments when you go down in brokenness and you come up in grace? Where the hot tears of God and brokenness have been brought back to you fresh and anew. Maybe today you would say, oh God, bring my tears back. Bring my tears back. Make me broken over sin. Make me broken even over settling for a form of godliness that denies its power. Make me broken over settling for just the religion. Going through the motions and not really walking in real intimacy with you. Start there. And then secondly, the second right action of God's people who are seeking revival is fasting. And this is what why we're calling the church this. We see fasting as a part of revival all over Scripture and all over the book of Joel. Again, we see it in verse 12 here. Return to me with fasting. In verse 14 of Joel 1, he says, Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. In Joel 2.15, he says the same thing. Consecrate a fast. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, says this. Whenever you fast... So there's a reality that we are called to do this. Now again, I encourage you, read through that pamphlet this afternoon as you pray and say, God, how can I begin this journey? But let me answer a few questions first that may help you today. First question, what is fasting? Fasting, most commonly, is the voluntary denial of yourself varying types or amounts of food and drink for the purpose of devoting yourself to seeking and pursuing God. Now, there are some references in Scripture of people denying themselves other activities or pleasures that are not exclusively food and drink to seek and pursue God. But this isn't true. Fasting is your physical, you intentionally subjecting your physical self to certain measures of discomfort because you're expressing to God, God, I want you this much more. You're saying, God, as my body hungers for you, let my soul hunger for you. Fasting is not just not doing something. It's not doing something for the purpose to replace it with seeking and pursuing God. Prayer and fasting is always connected. If you're just fasting and not meeting with God, you're not fasting. You're just you're on a diet. I remember a great friend of mine. Uh, we did a, a season of fasting in our, our church previously. And he was an Air Force colonel and had two teenage boys who were big swimmers. And he was, uh, obviously had a big physical uh, taxing job. I mean, he was in the Air Force and did a lot of things. And so he couldn't really fast breakfast and lunch, but he could fast one meal a day. And so he would gather his family together in the evenings for 21 days. And they would pray over their meal. And then he would leave the table after he blessed their meal, would go to his prayer closet, and he would spend an hour with Jesus. Now, not only did God do a fresh work in Scott and do a fresh work in our church during that time, I I only imagine what example that set to these two teenage young men to see their father, have memories of their father in a season, leaving the dinner table to go feast on God. Fasting is intended to be feasting on God. Secondly, second question, what types of fast can you do? Again, if you've never done one before, start small. It should be hard, difficult, but not impossible. Let me give you a couple options. You can fast one meal a day for 21 days. You can fast certain types of food. A lot of people will do a Daniel fast, which is just fruit and vegetables and water during that season. Uh, just th- Those things, excluding all dairy and all that, but during that time. Which, by the way, if you do a Daniel fast, coffee, black coffee, you can have coffee. So amen to that if you want to do that. You can fast from certain uh, specialty drinks. You can eat normal, but maybe only drink water. Some people, and this is a little bit more of an intense fast, they do a liquid fast only. They may drink insures and protein powder and smoothies and those types of things, but they give up solid foods. Some people who can't give up foods at all, they will give up things like TV and social media or their phone or whatever it may be. I would say to you here today, don't be legalistic about it. Just pray and ask God to put something on your heart and then go with it. it, It's about what, what you do with your heart that matters most. And then the third question, what should you expect? You should expect that it will be hard at first, but it will get easier. You should expect that a temptation during this time will be to fast but not meet with God. Let's say you give up lunch. It would be real easy just to work through lunch. You say you give up dinner. It would be real easy just to sit on your phone or whatever. I would say that's going to be one of the greatest temptations is to not meet with God. You can also expect a measure of spiritual warfare. The devil hates this. Why? Because God uses it. I can say this today, in seasons of extended fasting in my own personal life, I've experienced some of the greatest moments in the presence of God that I ever have. I know that I'm different today because of some seasons of fasting, but I can also say that I've also dealt with some of the most intense moments of spiritual warfare during those same times, but don't be afraid. Every moment you deal with a moment of spiritual warfare is that God has just expanded you to be able to deal with it even greater in the days ahead. And finally, greater is He who's in you than he who's in the world. You don't have to be afraid of the devil anyway. And then lastly, I would say, expect that God is going to do a new work in you. You know, when Jesus talked about fasting in Mark chapter 3, he said, You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Fasting is God making you a new vessel to hold fresh wine, to hold fresh growth. God may call you to new areas, God may call you, give you new wisdom and insight. God's going to do something new in you. So this is saying, God, make me a new vessel so that I can hold new. You know something? There's some physical parallels with fasting that I believe are spiritual parallels. Did you know that after you, if you do a full fast for three days and your body gets rid of a lot of impurities, that you actually see and hear better? Really, your vision improves, that your hearing improves. And there's so many other parallels. Can I just, I I genuinely believe that there's spiritual parallels with those things? Is that God, as I'm pursuing you, God, help me to see you clearer, God, help me to hear your voice. As I'm weak in my body, oh God, would you make me strong in my spirit? Fasting may seem extreme. And there are those who that genuinely believe that. But I would say in this passage, God calls for extreme. I love how in Joel 2, 16-17, he says, Bring the children. He says, bridegroom, come out of your chamber. Bride, bride, come out. He's going to shut down weddings. He says in verse 17 to the priest, stop doing the priestly function. and Lay between the porch and the altar and weep. And the reason why, he's saying, don't do normal. Seek me. If we genuinely want to experience the extraordinary, we got to get out of the ordinary. We can't go through the normal and expect God to do the supernatural. And so what I would say to you here today, expect God to work if we want new wine. Say, God, got, you've got to make me a new wineskin. And then lastly this morning, I'm going to ask Brother Ron to begin to make his way up here. Finally, if we're willing to respond rightly to God, God's recipe for revival concludes with His promise. Now in verse 14, Joel hints at the idea that if we fast and pursue Him... That God may show up. He says, who knows whether or not he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. But on down in verses 18 and 19, we see that it's it's, it's not a possibility. It's a promise. That if I genuinely seek the Lord, God will show up. Verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. James chapter 4, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And again, you can read through this passage later on today, verses 19 through 26, all these incredible promises. But again, I want to punch your hearts and minds to verse 27. This is what we're praying for in our lives personally, in our church, in our community. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. I had a pastor friend of mine who used to say the presence of God changes everything. When you've got God with you, you've got strength and hardship. You've got His voice in your for direction. You've got opportunity to serve in His purpose. He fills your heart with worship. That fire of God is kindled afresh and anew. Is that strongholds are broken. The bound are set free. That God has come near. As the psalmist said, better is one day in your courts, O Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I can, This is what I would tell you today. Don't miss Him today. Don't miss God's opportunity to say, come, come, come to me. What I would say to you this morning, church, is that we, I can't preach you into this. I can't even pray you into this. I believe God is answering in that. But ultimately, this is you and God. And so I would ask you here today, church, like I would ask myself, and I'm asking God to do it in me. Do I need to return to the Lord? Am I looking backwards at seasons of life to my greatest spiritual vitality? Or am I living it? And church family, if we're not living it, we're missing Him. You say, man, you may be doing everything right. That's fine. God just may have more for you. Can I say something that's so great the kingdom of God there's always more. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. God wants more for you here today. And the only thing standing between us and him is are we willing to pursue him? Are we willing to get hungry for him? Are we willing to get outside the normal to do the extraordinary to say, "Oh God, I'm not it doesn't matter if it looks weird to the world and it doesn't even matter if it hurts a little bit in my body. God, I want you more than I want anything else." So this is what we're calling you to, church family. Starting tomorrow. We did this in the first service, and I was very encouraged by the response. I'm not putting anybody on the spot here. If they Every head bowed, every eye closed here for a moment. You say, Pastor Zach, I'm in. You don't have to even have to know what that looks like yet, but for the next 21 days, you say, Pastor Zach, I'm in. I am asking God to do a revival work in me. Then just stand up. Stand to your feet right there where you are. Stand to your feet. I believe when the Spirit of God is speaking, that there's something about responding in that moment. So I'm going to invite you if you'd like to. You can kneel there at your seat. If I didn't like, if I'd like invite all who could. Just say, Pastor Zach, I'm ready. I want God to do this work in me. Then come and join me here at this altar. Just begin to make your way to your seat right there. And let's just come. Let's kneel before the Lord. Say, oh God, make me hungry for you. Again, you can do this at this altar. You can turn there at your seat. However you'd like to do that, would you just come and kneel and say, oh God, do a fresh work in me. God, do a fresh work in me. I would say to you here this morning, if you're a first-time visitor or guest... Hey, We're always going to call people to seek and pursue the Lord. This may look weird, and we don't want this to be weird for anybody here today. You can pray right there at your seat. But can I say something to you here today? It's one thing to come back to God. It's another thing to come to Him in the first place. So as these pray, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, but you want to know Him, you can know Him. Revival can begin by God bringing you to life for the first time. Call out to him say, dear Jesus, I long for you. I'm a sinner and I need you. I give my life to you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I'm asking you save me, oh God. Save me. Is that you here today? Call out to him and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Take a few moments right here, church, and just talk to God. Call out to the Lord right there where you are. Mm-hmm.
1: Sing this to the Lord. I need you. Oh God, how I need you Let's sing that one more time to the Lord I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness, oh God, how I need you.
0: Lord Jesus, Father, we just come to you this morning. God, I pray. Lord, under the authority you've given me, God, only in Christ and your righteousness, Father, as the pastor of this church, God, in whom you've set. God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would bind the enemy, Father, from every heart and soul that's seeking you today. God, I pray, Father, for the diligence and the discipline, God, to pursue you. Lord, in extreme ways, God, give us reckless abandon. God, make us hungry for you. God, I also pray that you just meet with your people. God, throughout this 21 days, I pray that you just keep opening the windows of heaven. Set people free, God. Restore their joy. Revive them, oh God. Restore marriages, Lord Jesus. Just say, God, I, I, I pray, God, that, that addicts, God, would be released, Lord Jesus. That God's souls would be uplifted. God. That people would be sent, God. I pray in Jesus' name that I'd revival, God, you'd send people. Who am I? Lord, here I am, Lord, send me for your name and your glory.